This is the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, we are looking at critical race theory. This podcast will describe seven basic elements of critical race theory. Now, critical race theory has been much maligned, discounted, and discredited without fully understanding exactly what it is. It's been presented as a bad thing, a dangerous thing, a nefarious thing by conservative groups such as the American Experiment. Disinformation, misinformation, and distortion are used under the guise of patriotism and Christianity and concern for our children. But what's presented as critical race theory by these groups is not critical race theory at all. Instead, Groups like the American Experiment offer a distorted, cartoonish, and even perverted view of what critical race theory is. Now, it's good for us to have differing views on things. That's how a healthy democracy works best. And that's how we evolve our thinking, by hearing different ideas. But distorting the views of others is not healthy for a functioning democracy or our larger community, and it doesn't move the conversation forward. It's okay to be against something, but you should at least know what that something is. So let's start with what critical race theory is not. Marxism. Critical race theory has nothing to do with Marxism. Now, the connection to Marxism that's made by some of these groups seems to be based on the word equity. They equate this word with Marxism, and that's a bit of a stretch. The term equity refers to fairness and justice. So Marxism is then used as a scary buzzword. But critical race theory has nothing to do with Marxism. It just doesn't. Hating white people. Critical race theory does not teach children to hate white people. It just doesn't. There's a white person. Hate that person. Just doesn't happen. Ashamed of being white. It does not teach children to be ashamed of being white. It just doesn't. Shame on you. You're white. It just doesn't. (laughs) To hate America. It does not teach children to hate America. It just doesn't. You can say it's so, but it doesn't make it so. So let's look at critical race theory. A theory is a way to explain a set of facts. It explains phenomena by connecting the data dots to form a picture. Different theories connect different data dots differently. Critical race theory is one such theory used to explain and understand the phenomenon known as systemic racism. This theory invites us to critically examine our policies and practices, our traditions, our systems. And the following questions can be used towards this end. Who gains and who is exploited? Who gets the resources and who's deprived? Who is advantaged and who is disadvantaged? How are the marginalized populations depicted and portrayed? Whose voice dominates the conversation and whose is silenced? 
who is included and who is excluded, who gets opportunities and who does not, who gets punished and who gets rewarded, who gets the attention and who gets ignored, who's making money and who is paying money, and what makes it difficult for some and easier for others. This is the lens that is used to critically examine our systems, our societal systems, our legal systems, our educational systems, our justice systems, our political systems all these systems. Now, here are seven big ideas common to most understandings of critical race theory. First, number one, racism is normal. It's so ingrained in our societal consciousness that most don't see it. However, our brains see racism in the form of implicit bias, as well our policies, programs, laws, and procedures do. This is systemic racism. Some are advantaged and others are not. And it exists unseen by most within our educational system. Now for change to occur, we must expose systemic racism as well as that which maintains and perpetuates it. So towards this end, the questions I just ask can be used to critically examine all societal systems. Number two, change occurs only when it aligns with the interests of those in power. In other words, advances for people of color will occur only when it coincides with changing economic conditions and the self-interest of the one to five percent in power. The current protests will only be successful when it hits the pocketbooks of those in power or when it threatens the political power of those in power. So the hard questions to ask are always who stands to gain in the current system? Who is making money? Who is getting the resources? Who is using teachers and schools as pinatas to get elected to office? Three, race is a social construct. It has no basis in biology. Race is an arbitrary category based on physical appearance that society has created based around the idea of a mythical white norm. These arbitrary categories become used as a sorting mechanism. And this sorting has both material and psychological impacts. It creates winners and losers. Number four, no person has a single identity. There is an intersectionality between race and other marginalized groups. These other groups are based on gender, ability, sexual orientation, class, social economic status, religion, and culture. So understanding oppression and marginalized, marginalization in one group helps us understand the marginalization of all groups. Number five, all people in a category do not think and act the same. 
physical characteristics referred to by racial terms are not indicative of a deeper underlying commonality or shared traits. One famous black person does not speak for all black people. All people's experiences are different. One person of color should not be asked to be the spokesperson and to try to explain systemic racism or the experiences of all black people. Number six, the stories of people must be heard, honoring, hearing the perceptions and experiences of real people is essential in making progress towards social justice and racial equity. However, people's voices are muted in two significant ways. The first occurs through the over-reliance on quantitative data to describe reality. Numbers without context provide a distorted view of reality. I'm not saying that science and quantitative data should not be used. Absolutely not. Don't distort that. I'm saying that quantitative data pulled out of context creates a distorted view of reality. The second way of disallowing the voices of marginalized groups is through the disremembering and misremembering of history. History is often described only through the lens of the privileged majority. The history of marginalized groups are misremembered using cartoonish configurations, distortions, omissions, and blatant misrepresentation. Some books that illustrate a more complete remembering include An African American and Latinx History of the United States, an Indigenous Peoples' History of the United States, CAS, The Origins of Our Discontents. These are books that describe a decidedly different version of U.S. history. This different from the McGraw-Hill version of reality provided in many K-12 curriculums. Here, the atrocities of slavery the greed of colonization, the avarice of imperialism, and the wanton genocide of indigenous peoples are not fully portrayed in these McGraw-Hill versions of reality. 7. Cultural parochialism and white superiority are factors in maintaining systemic racism. Now, this is a belief that one's own culture is the correct one and should be used as a standard of comparison. This is called cultural parochialism. Here, the practices, customs, lifestyles, traditions, views, and values that do not align with the dominant white culture are deemed to be defective or deviant or inferior. We're normal. They're not. Thus, right and wrong, good and bad, normal and abnormal are all determined by the majority white culture. This is white superiority. This is different from saying, this is not saying that we should be ashamed of being white or that white people are bad. This last idea must be considered as a factor, however, in contributing to the perpetuation of systemic racism. And again, this does not say that whites are bad or that white culture is bad. Rather, that it should not be the norm. 
to which all others are evaluated. So, the seven big ideas. One, racism is normal. We don't see it. Number two, change occurs only when it aligns with the interests of those in power. Number three, race is a social construct. Number four, no person has a single identity. Number five, all people in a category do not think and act the same. Number six, the stories of people must be heard. And number seven, cultural parochialism and white superiority are factors in maintaining systemic racism. This has been the uh, Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.